And I think if we all as a society, as a community, as a culture, as a people, as a nation start communicating in those terms, we will evolve as a society. But the evolution also starts with the self. I think the self is the community. The self is the nation. The self is the world. Hello and welcome to the Emotional Compass. This is Bodhi and Abiel. Hey, how's it going? What's up, Bodhi? How are you doing? I won't lie, it's been a really, really rough week. You know, it's been an emotional roller coaster given what's happening in the world. I mean, you know, COVID was not enough. And then all of that happened with the injustice that happened, the police brutality. I still can't believe it. And of course, rightly so, that everyone's really mad and everyone wants to do something about this. And it's, you know, and on top of that, to multiply to all of this, I had some crazy news at work, which I had to deal with. And it's just been really overwhelming. I could totally see that. I think when I first heard of it, it was too overwhelming. I, I couldn't I couldn't contain myself for a hot second. I I had, I was in the middle of working and I saw a post from uh, LeBron James and it led me to a rabbit hole and I started doing research and I I I lost it a little bit. It was it was pretty rough. I don't know. I just know that my intention is my heart to go out and support and to contribute the best way I can. I'm very confused in what I could do and I'm praying. I'm sending out my thoughts for justice to play out, for there to be substantial substantial change. I, I want us to not be judged by our meat sack, our meat suit any longer. I just want us to be able to see each other as as souls, as, as, as a human being, a human being to another human being. That, that's my prayer and my wish. And I have faith and I have hope that it will. And I think that I've seen so many examples of people doing so many beautiful things and the amount of compassion that's overpouring out there is so beautiful. And I think the unity that everybody is showing at these moments is so beautiful. I, my heart goes out and I'm so grateful for these times, for change, for, for the change that's happening and the change that will come. I'm just grateful for all of it. I think that a lot of the times before we could operate and remove an illness, it has to show up. And I feel like that's exactly what's been happening. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, for people that don't know out there, you know, Abiel's Puerto Rican, I'm Indian. And I don't know about you, Abiel, but 
growing up in this country, there have been instances where I have felt that the racism that people have judged me for the color of my skin. Um, and, you know, this was a lot when I was living in Miami and I shrugged it off because I was too naive. I was too young and I didn't take it as anything. And it was nothing to the level of what the black community experiences in this country, right? I feel their racial injustices far outweigh what anything I think my community experiences. Of course, I can't speak for you or your community. Um, and my heart really goes out to them because I keep wondering, like, if I came to this country and I was over and over treated like that by the police, I wouldn't have had the heart to go on. I would have left this country a long time ago because it's not worth paying that price. In their instance, this is their country. They can't go anywhere. They were born here. They have all the rights and yet they don't have it. It makes me mad. And at the same time, it makes me really, really sad. Having said that, we reviewed yet another book for this week's podcast, which I feel like it's very, very timely. And it's called Nonviolent Communication. And the, the reason why I love this book is because it talks about communicating in instances where we usually use our words and weaponize our words rather than communicating our needs or observing our needs or observing our feelings or asking someone to take certain actions. I think this book is really beautifully written because Marshall Rosenberg, he's the author of the book, he wrote this book and then he went and consulted with heads of states and politicians and CEOs and, you know, uh, communities, community, community leaders to kind of, you know, remove the tension that they were having so that they could exactly communicate without judging other people, without evaluating other people, without projecting their notions on other people. And I think if we all as a society, as a community, as a culture, as a people, as a nation, start communicating in those terms, we will evolve as a society. But the evolution also starts with the self. I think the self is the community. The self is the nation. The self is the world. So by taking responsibility for how we interpret the world, how I observe how communication is happening between me and my brother, then the community then is being enhanced because I am the community. I am the nation. I am the world. So it is our responsibility for make, to make that change within us so that that change could then be expressed outward and then could be perceived from the inside. And this beautiful book has brought so much peace to me and it has given me so many more tools to be able to communicate more efficiently with my loved ones that I truly recommend this book for everybody right now in these moments. Because what's most important is to come with this with heart 
listening, truly listening to see where where my my special someones are coming from, where my coworkers are coming from. And the way that he breaks it down is so beautiful. It it blows my mind every time. I'm like, this guy's a genius. Um, I think the first step about it is observation. It's clearly expressing how I am without blaming or criticizing. I feel like I could work on this part for the rest of my life. Like just to dropping the judgment portion, the the judgment portion is so crucial because that's where I become the victim. And instead, by taking out the victimization, I'm clearly able to process the information from a holistic point of view beyond the little I. And then the observer, the empathic, empathically receiving how you are without hearing blame or criticism is so important as well because so many times I'm perceiving the information that I'm getting from my coworkers or even my wife as, as an instant crit- criticism. And that fuels the fire too. So taking both of those things, just, just the observation portion of this book without going into feelings, needs, or even request would change people's lives. Yeah. I mean, I think each one of the tools that he's given us in this book, they're invaluable. If, even if we just take one thing away, as you said, we will be so much further ahead in the way we communicate and express ourselves. It's not even funny. So the, the example that he gives on the observation side of things is there is a, I, I believe there's a school and the, the committee of the school, the, there's the headmaster of the school and everyone's agonizes in the meetings when he's there because he just starts babbling and babbling. And so he goes and says like, hey, what's the problem with this, the headmaster of the school? And I think one of the people in the committee says, oh, he has a big mount. And he's like, but yeah, okay, that's, an, that's not an observation that you're evaluating or you're passing judgment on him. It's like, I didn't ask for the size of his mouth. I asked for you to tell me or observe like what the issue is. He talks too much. Right. And I think that's the real observation is that he talks too much and wastes everyone time by not really saying anything of substance. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear everybody's criticism of the the dean when in reality he was coming from like, hey, let's fix this problem. And everybody was just straight up criticizing. But the problem with it is if you're not observing, you can't really diagnose the issue to begin with. So the observation is crucial and it requires the ego to step out of the way. Yeah, he beautifully put it by saying, Nonviolent communication is a process language that eliminates static evaluation, which just blows my mind because he's like, it's a process. You just have to treat it as a process so that it's a methodology. You use it as A, B, and C. So you're not thinking and evaluating and throwing judgment or any of those things. You follow the recipe, you will get the end result. And the better you get at following the recipe, you will get an amazing dish at the end. The other one that was very interesting was the feelings portion. And he starts talking about um, a kid at a dormitory where 
he's talking about uh, his his roommates playing the stereo so loud, and he feels that nobody should be playing the stereo at that hour at those hours of the night. And he replies, "Well, that's not really a feeling; that's an observation." And he then then again, "But how do you feel about it?" And he goes, "I don't really have feelings about it." When in reality, the kid was having feelings about it. That's why he was concerned. So in our culture, we mistake in feelings for evalu- evaluations. Like, I feel that she should have done her work better. Instead of saying, I feel that her work hinders our ability to move forward as a group. And it, and it makes me feel that I'm caring or it makes me feel angered that I have to carry more of the load. I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on the feelings portion? Yeah. Um, so we're basically going through the whole NVC process, the nonviolent communication process, which has four parts to it. Observations, feelings, needs, and requests. So in the second part of the feelings, as you said, you know, um, yeah, oftentimes I feel like we include our emotion on sensation rather than the actual thought of what is it that, you know, you're feeling in this case. That's an observation, Bodhi. That's not a feeling though. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's I, how I think. I, no, I think <laughs> it's how I feel in relation to what I observe. That's what I was getting at. But that's an observation. That's not a feeling. No, no, no. How I feel in relation to what I observe. The ob- observation part is what I observe, period, that does or does not contribute to my well-being. I think we just confused everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, for example, um, you know, you not eating a balanced meal will impair your health. Right. That's an observation, but that's also an absolute statement. But I can also put it this way. You not eating a balanced meal, I fear, may impair your health. And that's more accurate. That's more congruent. It opens things up. Right. Because that's a feeling that I have. And it's not an absolute prediction of you not eating a balanced meal. If you look at Trump, you know, he's doing great by eating KFC every day. (laughs) I don't fear that his health is going to be impaired. Right, exactly. But I fear for your health. And so that's a feeling. But that's a feeling in relation to what I observe. I'm observing that you're not eating a balanced meal, which is not true, by the way. This guy eats the most healthiest and clean meals ever. I, on the other hand, don't eat a balanced meal. But that's a different tangent. But you, you see what I'm trying to say is like, I am talking about a feeling in relation to what I'm observing. I know, but it was cracking me up because you use, I feel, and then you made an observation, which is the same example I had given before, how in our country, the way we communicate, we, we mistaken feelings for thoughts. I think that in relation to this versus I feel. So... I think the feelings portion is starting to become more aware of what a feeling is like anger, disappointment, 
um, happiness, joy versus an, a thought or an observation. So the feelings portion makes you get in touch with how you feel about a certain thing instead of, instead of uh, an observation of a certain thing. And that, that's a big paradigm shift because when you start expressing your feelings, it gives you the rapport. It builds a, a more inclusive conversation where somebody could see into you and to you as a person. And by doing so, it opens them up as well. For instance, it's like if I have my arms crossed and, and I am not facing you, it would be different than if my hands were off, off to my side, me truly wanting to be there for you. So it's, it's those little nuances about coming from your feelings and expressing those that start opening up the pathway to nonviolent communication process. I was actually going to give another, another example, or at least attempt at another example. Go for it. Imagine a parent saying to a child, when you come home late, yeah, you always come home late and make me worried. You know, it's a very absolute kind of statement. And, and it's possible that that kid probably is not home late every night. But imagine another way of saying that. When you come home late, I feel very anxious because I don't know if you're going to where you've been. And you know, it just creates these feelings of anxiety within me. I like that. I think both of us are not parents, but the second, <laughs> the second part around is like when, when you come home late, I don't know where you have been and if you're okay. And that creates so much anxiety within me that I don't know what to do. And if you wouldn't mind communicating with me, if you're going to be home late, it would put me at ease. I think by doing that, the kid would be a lot more receptive. And a lot of parents, you know, I, I can't judge a parent for going nuts on this, on their kid because I don't have any and it's, I can't put myself in their shoes. But by opening up their feelings towards them and expressing how it makes them feel, which is, which is something that I was grateful for because my dad would always open up about his feelings and express that to me how he felt about situations and his sincerity about how he felt and how he wanted the best for us and the reasons why he was doing things allowed me to see his point of view and allowed me to do things because I wanted to please them and I, I loved him. And there were times where we didn't disagree in, in everything, but we were doing it in a very amicable way with respect. And that's something that, um, I've, I've always admired from my dad is this ability to, to be responsible with his, his emotions towards me from a very early age and taking the time to check himself before he wrecked himself, LOL. But I think feelings are so important to be recognized, to be shared, because that shows strength, that vulnerability, that openness is what shows courage and strength. To say that we're scared about something that we don't understand. We're scared about where this nation is going. We're scared that we don't have control over all these circumstances. And that and then once we express those feelings, the the other portion of it is 
is the needs. Expressing the needs is so important versus being vague about needs. Um, do you want to share an example? Yeah, the example that stuck out to me was this couple that he gets into his office that's been married for 39 years. And he's like, tell me one conflict that you guys have been having this conflict forever and we'll try to resolve that conflict in 20 minutes. And of course, they chuckled and they laughed. They were like, in 20 minutes? We've been married for like 39 years. How are you going to resolve this? They were like, all right, let's give it a try. And they talked about money and uh, spending. And they're like, we've had this problem since the beginning. And he's like, all right, let's, can you express each other's needs? And so the wife laughed at him and said, like, we've been married for 39 years. He's like, of course I know what he needs. He's like, all right, what does he need? He's like, well, he needs me not to spend any money. And he's like, well, that's not a need. That's a strategy to meet a need, but that's not a need. And so he, he tried to explain to her what a need is. And she's like, well, you know, he's like his father from the depression era where he's just very, very stingy with money. He's like, yeah, once again, that's a judgment on him. That's not a need. And so he asked the husband and he's like, well, do you know what she needs? He's like, you know, she's a great mother and a great wife, but she just does not know how to control her spending. He's like, yeah, once again, that's not a need. You're passing judgment on your wife. And so after much deliberation and explaining to them what their needs are and all of that, and he turned to the husband and he's like, you know, you're the breadwinner of the house. So you want financial safety and security. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I said. And he's like, well, you didn't really say that, but that's exactly what he needs. And he turned to the wife and he's like, you want to be able to spend and have him trust that you can spend without him passing judgment on you. She's like, yeah, that's exactly what I need. And so I feel like oftentimes, especially in relationships, we don't communicate our needs and we end up projecting our insecurities on the other person or passing judgments on the other person. And that just creates more and more tension instead of resolving any sort of conflict. I don't know if you heard that, but that was Mike, Mike dropped. That was, that's you dropping the mic on that one. That was awesome. <laughs> to express one's needs and to even understand one's needs is so important. I think so many times we're so wrapped up in our rage and our anger about things that we want that we forget what was it that we needed. And a lot of the times I've seen people neglect their needs and then throw it all away because they were too upset. And it takes so much courage and it takes so much discipline to be centered enough to express your needs so that they, so that you could give your partner or your, or your spouse or your coworker the opportunity to provide that need. And, you know, that, that week before the husband was ready to offer a divorce. And before you know it, he's expressing that he wants financial security for his his family and she wants the ability to for a second chance to show financial responsibility how beautiful is that i love it 
That's beautiful. And the final one that we have is the request, where it's not being ambiguous with what you're communicating. One, one thing that I remember that stuck out to me was, don't communicate what you don't want. Communicate what you want. And one of the examples that he gave was these kids wanting to go to their dean and get something from him. And they were like, he's a curmudgeon and he wouldn't approve anything. And he's like, what did you go to him with? We were just like, we want you to treat us fairly. And it's like, what does that mean? What does fairly mean? He doesn't know what fairly means. You go to him saying like, hey, we want you to treat us fairly. He's like, yeah, I treat you fairly. What? Like, there's nothing specific there. So he's like, get more and more specific with what exactly you need. And it turns out they made a list of like 38 items, went to him, and he said, sure, I will honor all these 38 items. And similarly, I think one of the examples that he gave about the request was that, you know, uh, the woman saying to her husband, saying like, you don't want me to grow. And he's like, of course I want you to grow. It's like, but you don't, you don't approve of me. And he's like, of course I approve of you. And so they just kept going back and forth. She's like, why don't you just get clear with exactly what you want there? And she's like, well, whenever I do or say something, I just honestly want you to smile and nod and say you approve of it. And that was really hard for that person to admit that that's what makes them happy or feel that they're loved or feel that they're needed or feel that their needs have been met. Or for example, a father, you know, saying, you're not responsible to, your, to the son. And the son's like, I try to do everything in my power to show that I'm responsible. So he's like, why don't you get clear with this request? What is the actionable item? What can he do in action-wise to show that he's a responsible kid? And so the more and more the father dug into it, he's like, well, I honestly just want him to say yes to everything I ask him to do and just do it. So if I tell him to jump, he should just ask me how high. And that's so funny because if we really sometimes dig deep down inside to exactly what we want from a loved one or a partner or a child or anyone around us, maybe we're not willing to admit, but it's not a whole lot complexity there. You know, it's like sometimes we just want people to do things for us without questioning us. I remember being in a, in a position where I was in a relationship where at the time my partner was upset that I could not read her mind to know what she wanted. Like it was so obvious in her mind that she was expressing this non-verbally and the fact that I, I didn't understand what she wanted created a fight in our relationship. And so many times we're in relationships or we're, we have parents that are nonverbal about things and expect you to read their minds and provide their unexpressed wishes. And it's very important to express your wishes through your request and to be extremely clear about it because people cannot read minds. Even if they're good at it, it's a good practice to start expressing exactly what you want. To write a list, to be clear with all the things that you want will bring change. For instance, 
what is that knock and the door shall the door shall be open unto you. That's like a Bible saying where if you have a request, the Lord shall answer. But if you do not ask for it, it will not be provided. So it's there's so much power when you line up your thoughts with your voice and then comes the action. There's this natural flow that will occur whenever you speak those words, whenever you verbalize those words. It's very important. And if you don't have somebody in front of you, write down those words. Write down your request. Everything that you want, write it down. Speak it out loud. Make that request because the moment you do is the moment the, the universe will put that request in order. It's like a, it's like a, a takeout order ticket. Once you've requested, boom, it goes into the window and then the chef can start making your meal. But if you haven't put in that request, you're never going to get that order. I think in closing, I, this book just absolutely floored me, opened my mind, made me rethink how I communicate my feelings, how I communicate with my loved ones, even how I communicate at work. If I keep reiterating those tenets that they have in this book and just follow those guidelines over and over again, whenever I'm feeling flustered, like I said, follow that recipe. And each time you follow that recipe, you just get better and better at making that dish. And I know I'm going to be practicing nonviolent communication daily and just get better at this practice over time. You know, you want to be the change you want to see in the world. Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. Download the book, read it, absorb it, practice it, and just make it part of your daily life. So this is The Emotional Compass. This is Bodhi. And Abiel, thank you so much for joining us. Our hearts go out to you. Rate, review, and share, please.